Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. Today what I have to watch out for is not to lose it completely, just completely explode on the air and start cursing and screaming and God knows what else. I mean, part of that is because I'm old and sick and I can't stand it anymore because I never counted on this. I, I didn't know this was in the bargain, you know, originally. But uh, And the other part is, of course, because I'm a Mets fan. So that's why, I'm, that's why I feel the way I do. Um, it would actually, you know what, I mean, how bizarre it is. Like you're watching a team on, um, on TV and you follow a team. If they started to play better, I would feel better. Now, how, what does that tell you for how shallow a personality I might have? <laughs> uh, I read in the paper this morning that's a, a brand-new documentary out in the theaters on uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Um, 
Uh, and I'm assuming that almost everybody who's listening to me has watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, not necessarily as maybe when you were a child or when you were young, but uh, if you ever had kids or you even were taking care of little kids, um, then you watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood sometime or other. And I, I love Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers is, you know, this word hero that's thrown around so randomly and gratuitously that it literally doesn't mean anything anymore. Fred Rogers was a kind of a hero to me. Uh, I was crazy about that guy. I, to me, he was the absolute epitome of a Christian and higher and wider than that of a decent, thoroughly, um, you know, uh, integrated, um, decent, honest individual, a human being of the highest sort. And, uh, but his show, I thought, was creepy. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was creepy. First of all, as they pointed out in his article today, it was a monarchy. <laughs> Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was ruled by a king. Is that American? Besides which, there was something about the whole show. It had characters on the show and the animals. Everybody was like something from a bad dream. Uh, and there was something creepy about the show. But he himself... I idolized that guy, and I have about three idols I've had in my entire life. He was one of them. Uh, I remember when he died, I was on BAI, and I was reading his obituary. I started crying on the radio. Uh, once I went to a concert at the New York Philharmonic, which was, I don't know, where do they play? Alice Tully Hall, somewhere in Lincoln Center. And he was in the audience, and before, I don't know how, it, how this happened, but before, <clears throat> you know, when, before the, the orchestra was on stage, uh, the audience had filled up, and somebody pointed out somehow that Fred Rogers was in the audience, and he stood up, and this entire, this entire place um, just exploded in applause, long, sustained applause when he stood up in a kind of a reticent way and waved a little bit at people. I mean, that's, he had that effect on people. Uh, my kids didn't care for him. <laughs> they like Sesame Street was jazzier. Sesame Street was... Uh, was jazzier and uh, did you watch Sesame? Did you watch Sesame Street? Yeah. What about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Was that around? Uh, but Sesame Street was like cooler, right? I mean, yeah. Man. Oh well. Anyhow, so uh, how many tens of millions of people watch Mr. Rogers? But I know a lot of people. And so now there's a documentary out on him, which, according to these critics uh, and the reviews, is one of the best documentaries ever made about anybody. You know, but particularly about one uh, kind of person, you know, uh, Mr. Rogers. He converted, actually, the, um, he started out as, um, as a minister and then became um, Mr. Rogers. Anyhow, um, what else is new in the paper? What's new? What's not new, basically, uh, is what is new anymore if it, is, if it didn't happen only five minutes ago? After 10 minutes, it's not, it's old news. I mean, basically, in the, in the daily tsunami of news and information, of like shock and outrage that you see every minute, every day, everywhere, the incident of Roseanne Barr, remember her from the distant past, has started to recede into history by now, right? I mean, and, you know, also headed for the dusty vault of old news. Uh, that's anything older than 24 hours. Also headed for that vault is the disturbance around Samantha B and her nasty, vulgar insult to Ivanka Trump. I mean, does anybody need to be reminded about what happened? Probably not. You've heard about it already. But maybe you forgot, because it's so old. 
You know, last week, I wrote an essay about uh, these events uh, surrounding these two women, and I sent it out to my mailing list. And by the way, are you on my mailing list? If you would like to be on the mailing list, just go to Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com and sign up. Uh, for the mailing list. Uh, and you won't, you know, you're not going to be harassed by people trying to sell you things or stealing your information. I'm too far below the radar to attract pests that big. The Russians are not going to try to uh, rearrange your uh, personal life. So anyway, I wrote this essay and I made some comments about what happened. And I never mentioned the issue of free speech and entirely just left that out. <clears throat> and an old listener of mine from uh, the BAI days who has listened to me through the decades and on various stations, reminded me that I used to make impassioned pleas for the right of anyone on the air to say just about anything, really. And that included cursing and personal insults. Just about anything, in fact, that stopped short of, to paraphrase Oliver Wendell Holmes, right, uh, yelling fire in a crowded theater. Anything short of that, I mean, which is particularly to say any speech that doesn't cause imminent bodily harm to anyone uh, I pretty much thought that um, <laughs> it should be permitted uh, in my career in radio, which included being part of management at one place. Um, back in the day before cable, satellite, internet, radio, and TV, everything was terrestrial radio. It was just regular radio and television. And it was all subject to uh, fairly strict FCC rules against offensive language, quote-unquote, offensive language. You could lose your broadcast license, and certainly left-wing BAI could lose it quicker than most, for any cursing or, quote, gratuitous graphic sexual references. <laughs> gratuitous graphic sexual references. It's not gratuitous. It's just a sexual reference, but they called it gratuitous, which is, which is uh, implying, of course, that you're just throwing it around like a teenager, that you're not actually filled with lust like almost every man is. Uh, on the air. I mean, if you use that on the air, you would you would go on, and you could risk the license of the whole station. Um, but uh, one thing was uh, always was always covered uh, in personal attacks, which I would permit uh, within a certain range was libel laws. I mean, if you actually called somebody a private, mostly a private person, the more private somebody is, the more protected they are by libel laws. Like there's, there's a Supreme Court case now. Um, uh, I think the Supreme Court is hearing this case right now. Or did they decide it yet? Or are they hearing this case where uh, uh, Donald Trump tried to from per, like he tried to forbid certain people to be on his Twitter Twitter account? I don't know how Twitter works, but uh, he wanted to, or he did, forbid certain people to be following him or to be on his Twitter account. And um, the Supreme Court, I think, some federal court decided, so that's why it's going to the Supreme Court. Some federal court decided that he's such a public figure and he's the president and it's a political plat platform that should be available to the entire country that he has no right. He is uh, given away his right because he's so public um, to, uh, to have that uh, Twitter account be private in any way. Anyhow, most of the people uh, I knew on the radio, no matter how angry or – this is back in the 50s, of course. Uh, most of the people who grew up in a time, that is the 50s. Um, no matter how angry or perverse they were back in BAI and some other places. Uh, uh, this is back in a time still because we were brought up a certain way that cursing and personal attacks on the air were considered disrespectful. Can you imagine, can you imagine that? Disrespectful. 
<laughs> Here's an old word for you. Talk about in the dusty vault. And more, uh, that they displayed a certain poverty of invention or intellect. Of course, such attitudes seem, uh, what, quaint and antiquated now, for sure. Dis, you know, uh, you know disrespect, respectful, <laughs> being respectful. Um, with the advent of um, Howard Stern and Insult Radio, respect on, uh, on radio went, all, went completely overboard. I remember when I was on um, Sirius Satellite, sometimes people would call up and I would be, um, uh, I, I, I was generally compared to most of the other, on a, on a sort of a regular basis, except when I exploded, on a regular basis on Sirius Satellite, this is the heavily into the era of Insult Radio and Howard Stern was the big star there. <clears throat> I was generally extremely um, patient and friendly to people and wouldn't insult people. Once in a while, though, I would lose control and really go overboard, worse than anybody on the station. And, um, and what happened? What happened when I insulted people, even on a semi-regular basis, let's say two shows in a row, two shows in a row, I would get more listeners. This is how bad things uh, became and still are, right? The more, I ins- the, the more incidents of insult I did on my show and uh, contempt I show for the listeners, the more listeners I got. True. But, um, oh, well. When we, when we initially went on the air at BAI, we were cautioned that the feds were always looking to silence Pacifica. And so even if we didn't think cursing was so bad and that we might feel that it helped us better to express our outrage at government malfeasance or maybe certain elected, you know, um, elected officials, we had to be really careful Really careful, especially at BAI. It wasn't just the station, see, that our shows or our colleagues' shows that we had to protect. It wasn't just our show and our friends' shows or other people on the air. It was the public that the station was serving. See, that was the point that we had to think about. So, you know, if we want to just indulge ourselves, we could throw everything overboard and ruin everything. So we had to be careful, especially, as I say, BAI was really on the spot. and We were really being watched. And it wasn't just what we said on the air, but also what we allowed anyone else, including listeners calling in and people were, who were being interviewed to say. We had to be careful about that, too. <clears throat> they had something back then called a seven-second delay, which I'm not exactly sure what it was. But it was, I mean, the actual details of it. But it was a technical setup where you were able, should someone, let's say, blurt out shit or fuck or feckless cunt or assassinate Johnson if somebody just blurted that out, you had a way, if you turned on this uh, setup, to snatch it out of the air so the listeners never heard it, that the whole show was on a delay. And I never understood how it worked, like I say. And I know a lot of people at BAI, including me, never switched it on. We just cautioned people from time to time, and we were always very careful. And it was always a tricky thing. It made live radio even more interesting, like you know, walking on a tightrope, right? Because everybody was uh, listening, and something can easily go wrong any second, especially at BAI. Um, then, you know, there's a f- one fateful Saturday morning back in the in the uh, 70s. One of our broadcasters played the full recording of George Carlin's Seven Words You Can't Say on Television, uh, which, of course, he never did say on television. And uh, the FCC, uh, hearing about uh, this from a listener who was complaining said that it was going to take our license away or censure us in some way. Um, but uh, so, and the case, you know, we fought the Pacifica, which owned BAI, fought the case, and it made its, all, it made its way to the Supreme Court. And they decided we were wrong 
was a 5-3, I think it was a 5-3 or a 6-3 opinion that we were wrong to broadcast these uh, offensive words. Um, But the rule eased up after a little while, and uh, the FCC, or maybe it wasn't the FCC, it could have been Pacifica's self-imposed rule, a rule that they, self-censorship they put on themselves. Anyhow, it came out that you could use these words, but uh, not when children were in the room, and I don't mean the children on the air, the children at home or in cars. Or, or you, could, uh, you, couldn't use, you couldn't use them from the hours of 7 in the morning till 10 at night. But after 10 at night until 7 in the morning, you could curse if you didn't go way overboard and overdo it. Um, and if we anticipated that our show was going to contain offensive material or words during those hours, you know, 10 in the morning till 7 at night, we had to issue a disclaimer advising people to evacuate the children, you know, uh, from the atom bomb of dirty words, uh, or themselves to avoid being contaminated, to be irradiated by uh, nastiness. At BAI, for what we considered were absolutely vital political and artistic reasons, we pushed the concept and the practice of absolute free speech as far as we could go. And um, things leaked out sometimes, and, and, the, and after the Supreme Court decision in the, in the Pacifica rule about when you could do these things, some people went overboard. So it came to be 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning, you know, fuck this and fuck that. Not, oh, not too much, but uh, definitely what some people would call gratuitous. <laughs> Although every, as one of the Supreme Court justices, my hero on the Supreme Court, yet another hero, one of the handful of them that I have, Justice Brennan, um, said that um, you can. This is this was his brilliant uh, remark, of course, among others that he's made in his long that he made in his long career. Supreme Court Justice Brennan said, uh, "That's what the dial. This is back in the day when radios had dials. You know, is that's what the dial is for. If something is offending you and you're a grown person." or you're in, you're in charge of uh, whoever's listening there, if something is offending you, turn off the radio or tune away and listen to something else. Why censor uh, an entire country? Uh, because some people didn't want to exercise their adult responsibilities by just reaching over and uh, going to another station or turning it off. Anyhow. Um, but over time... Um, BAI, BAI, poor old BAI. I mean, it had once been a unique radio station. Once it was. It was a well-recognized broadcaster of the revolutionary and avant-garde in everything, in music, in art, in politics, in health broadcasting. Gary Knowles on there. They lost a significant portion of its listeners and supporters. I mean, it just basically fell apart. And how did this happen? Well, there's a few reasons. I mean, one was, why did BAI... um, you know, uh, fall down and practically die, and now it's on its last legs for years. One was because the 60s and 70s had come and gone. That simple. Like the Vietnam War had exhausted everybody. Uh, a post-war nationwide depression had set in. Uh, rights movements, you know, were still making progress. Uh, but the first ecstatic rush of the civil rights movement in the 60s and the gay rights and the women's rights movements they kind of got caught up in the uh, general malaise of the, uh, of the mid to late 70s when everything was very uh, depressed and sort of swamped <laughs> in this country. Um, 
I guess this was inevitable. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen in this country, right? I mean, what happened was here, the great mass of Americans, and I guess <clears throat> by this, when I say the great mass of Americans, I mean generally the white middle-class Americans, uh, but that also included a good number of moderates and liberals, just got worn out. I mean, worn out. They got tired of, of all the uh, yelling and shouting and <clears throat> revolution and everything else. <clears throat> I mean, this happens in cultures and societies everywhere, you know, in the history of, uh, of, of human beings. <clears throat> I mean, after 10 years of an immoral, useless, and losing, losing war, Americans don't like to lose, right, and violent domestic upheaval, I think a lot of people got tired of revolutionary ideas, anti-establishment behavior. Uh, and then, of course, the people who own the country, I mean, the rich and powerful, also had had enough of these goings-on. And their biggest complaint was that the federal government, under the control of the Democrats, uh, was spending good tax money on Medicare and housing renewal and other, like, you know, wasteful communist programs. And they have been, they've kept at it. They have kept at it since the, uh, since the 70s when they got organized, the Koch brothers and all these other people. This is when it started, in the late 70s. And, um, and we're still living in the midst of this. Uh, revolution, and you have to look at it from a business point of view, right? Revolution and change from the bottom up, not from the top down, but from the bottom up, is bad for business. Bad for business. So the people that really own the country, they came up with long-range plans back in the 70s and a lot of money, billions of dollars, to take the country back, basically to make, it, uh, make the America white and capitalist again. And uh, they used their money and their political and cultural influence to create fake grassroots movements, conservative think tanks, and colleges based on fundamentalist religious doctrine. That's what they did with their money. And they've been, uh, unfortunately, very successful. Just look around. I'm reading in the paper the other day, uh, just, yesterday, just this morning actually, that the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, whoever, whatever idiot or uh, predatory appointee Trump put in there or whoever they would, Trump was told to put in there, has now loosened controls that were set up by what? The Obama administration on a vast range of chemicals that are considered potentially toxic or actually toxic and um, can poison the earth, the air, the water, our food, what we breathe in, uh, everything, right? So the very fucking agency, right? The very agency, the Environmental Protection Agency, there to protect the environment which we live in is now undoing protections for the environment and for all of us. I, you know, I'm, I always ask the same question. I've been doing it for like, you know, as long as I've been on the radio. What country do they live in? They don't live in a Swiss chalet. And even if they did, you know, the, the poisoning of the earth affects everybody. They don't live out on a, on, on a yacht on the ocean. Well, some of them do. But they live in the continental United States, no matter how walled off they are or glassed in or protected, they can't be protected from eating food and, um, and uh, that's poison because the earth is poisoned or 
bathing in water that's poison or drinking or drinking water or cooking with water that's poison. They can't avoid that. They can't avoid breathing, though I wish some of them would stop breathing. Um, I think starting with Ivanka Trump, um, it's a bad idea to, uh, if you think about, you know, mortality and how we're all in this together, it's a bad idea to do what I'm going to do right now. So I take it back. I don't want her to stop breathing, but I am... I mean, I can understand why Samantha B got so enraged with her. I mean, the context of that, which I can bring up later. But uh, this woman, Ivanka Trump, is uh, she's and somebody referred to it this way, too. It's sort of a, a modern American Marie Antoinette. Right. Let them eat cake. She uh, what did she came on the other day and it was about Kate Spade's suicide. And she said, um, you know, how awful it was, and I suppose she knew her, and she's in the same, you know, business, you know, accessories for women using slave labor. I don't know about Kate Spade, but Ivanka Trump for sure. And this idiot woman, this this idiot excuse for a human being, um, says that uh, she made an announcement, which a lot of people are making these days, is, uh, you know, since this thing happened with Kate Spade. That, you know, suicide is a, it's a plague in the country and it's a horrible thing and uh, you should seek help from uh, professionals and go wherever you can to get help if you have suicidal feelings. And, of course, everybody pointed out on the Internet um, that her father, uh, you know, the original, the father idiot, uh, recently just um, managed, working with the Republicans, to cut $700 million dollars for mental health services in the country, free mental government mental health services. So she's urging people to go get help. Help from where, you fucking idiot? I can understand why people curse at her and call her names. She's a special White House advisor. Advisor on what, right? Anyhow, so you know, the, the, back to what I was saying. So these, these rich people created all these fake organizations, and, um, and uh, they also bought up which is never too hard to do, providing the price is right, a lot of state legislatures, governorships, and uh, a big chunk of the Republican Party in Congress, and even a few Democrats, right? Uh, but mostly Republicans. And eventually they installed Reagan in the White House, and they got uh, mourning in America. Uh, mourning, I, I see that M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, you know, but they got mourning in America. And, of course, after mourning in America... Uh, the uh, grandchild or the child of Morning in America is Make America Great Again, de-evolution. And, of course, just waiting out there with their dollars and their votes to consume all this bullshit that's being laid out by the rich people where millions of other people, regular people, quote-unquote regular people, who had enough after the 60s and 70s, of unpatriotic, dirty hippie, faggot, commie, nigger kike liberal behavior. They had it. They don't want to hear one word about it anymore. And, you know, this is what, this is, this is the vat. This is the nasty vat down in the lab that Trump was cooked up in. Anyhow, um, the great reaction was born. That was the great reaction of the, of the 70s and 80s. Uh, and uh, it's now become, you know, as we're all aware, the controlling force in American government. And God help us all, if we don't turn this around, if the, co if the country is not turned around in the midterms and we, uh, the voters, if they show up and take Congress back from the Republicans, 
it's the only step in the right direction. Otherwise, I don't even see there being another presidential election. I don't see that there's going to be enough freedom to have that. Then I think they'll see martial law. Um, and it's about free speech, though. That's what I was talking about. Is this an example? Am I practicing free speech? I suppose I am. Another reason free speech BAI hit the skids was, ironically, because a new set of managers and program directors started practicing censorship of a sort at BAI, which was considered the worst thing in the world. I mean, basically, they retreated from the station's usual sort of expansiveness and openness, and it became uh, an exclusive, narrow, and restrictive, even bigoted. It was a bigoted and restricted place inside the station, among the staff and the people who ran it, and on the air. The management put uh, several, uh, more than several at one point, uh, racist, and in this case, I mean anti-white racist, and yes, um, black people can be racist. I know that sounds to a lot of people, white and black, um, that might sound like insulting and absurd. But if you're on the wrong end of racism and people are, and people are um, discriminating against you because of, uh, because of your color and they're making it impossible for you to do this, that, and the other, or they're eliminating you from certain places, it's pure discrimination and it's racism. So what happened is there was um, uh, the station became racist and sort of anti-white and it became anti-Semitic uh, from the top down and there were broadcasters on the air doing this. And uh, basically, uh, it replaced a lot of really good broadcasters who had been there for a while or some new ones with people who were their friends. And these people on the air, they, they bordered on the mundane and the inarticulate. And they ran their shows in a narrow, bigoted way. It was not the way that, uh, that everybody fell in love with BAI and uh, enjoyed it so much in the 60s and the 70s. Anyhow, this behavior, uh, especially the on-air behavior, drove away the station's base. And um, basically what I'm talking about, it may have been, you know, white people, but basically I'm talking about decent people who wanted to hear good radio and didn't want to be abused. There's enough of that in the world already. So now they heard it on their radio station. It was too much, and they just left. And, and if you complained about this behavior on the part of the management, if you complained on the air about it, which is an old BAI, it was an old BAI tradition. I don't know if people do that anymore. Then you really came in for trouble. They had like a, the management of this place had a sort of a with us or against us mentality at the top. And it was difficult to endure, difficult to endure and very sad to see considering what BAI had been. And um, probably, though, the most important reason BAI and the other Pacifica stations shrunk in importance. And this is more to the point of the larger message that I'm uh, attempting to, uh, to deliver today was, was simply because of the rise and the birth of new broadcast media. Times changed. Broadcast media uh, in which anything can and does a million times a day get said. And I'm not implying, I'm not implying that we need to go back to the good old days, though in some cases it might not be such a bad idea. The good old days aren't just sappy, wrong-headed, delusionary memories for old people. In some cases, it was the good old days. And I'm not talking here about my, uh, my own version of making America great again, media-wise. Uh, a lot of this new broadcast media um, and ways of communicating include stuff that used to distinguish Pacifica and all the other available media of the time. Um, 
um, who were specialized and who were working hard to present really good stuff. I mean, a lot of the new stuff is the best, avant-garde, art, political radicalism, brilliant broadcasters, everywhere, all over the place. Um, more people have access to the air, so there's more idiots. More people have access to YouTube, so there's more, there's more shit. But in the midst of all that, there are inevitably brilliant people who are saying the right things. Um, anyhow, uh, eventually the rule and uh, the original moral instinct, I guess, too, against broadcasting offensive public speech, uh, while, while it's still observed on terrestrial radio, you still can't curse on terrestrial radio as far as I know, and TV. Um, but uh, otherwise it's become just sort of a little amusing curio, you know, in the vast exploding universe of communication that we live in now. But even if BAI long ago lost its influence on the public and has very few listeners to most of its shows, the concept and the fundamental importance of free speech, of course, remains. It's, you know, uh, I mean, and this brings me back at last <laughs> to the current fracas, you know, uh, involving Roseanne Barr, Samantha B, and what's happening to them. I'm going to have a little, you don't mind, I'm going to have a little throat coat tea. So take a little time for yourself here. I guess free speech also means the freedom to get on the radio um, and not say anything for a moment, right? Like this. Can you hear me swallowing? Can you hear me swallowing on the, uh, on the microphone there? Um, <clears throat> Roseanne, get to, get to the point here, Roseanne lost her show almost immediately after tweeting her racist remark. Uh, her apology was shallow and was cynical, as most public apologies by celebrities and politicians usually are, right? You know, uh, I'd like to apologize to anybody I might have offended. I'm terribly sorry. I slipped. I should never have blah, 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 blah. What crap? <clears throat> Anyhow, ABC tossed her overboard. And that's too bad for the people who liked watching her show. Well, I wasn't one of them. And even more unfortunate for the many people who had good jobs because of it. Right now, what are they going to do? Uh, just like the narcissist in chief, Roseanne obviously never considered the effect her remarks would have on anybody. She just felt compelled to make them. And in a world where you can speak to millions of people instantaneously without pausing for thought or advice, she, as in the Nike ad, just did it. She just did it. Just the same way that an infant who hasn't yet been potty trained just does it. That's the way it looks to me with her. Just like a little, you know, I have a, um, a uh, you know, a granddaughter who is 20 months old. And when she needs to poop, she poops. Uh, it just doesn't get smeared, you know, all over the Internet and reach uh, 20 million people instantly. <laughs> but Roseanne, you know, the same kind of person. Roseanne Barr is really more than a little crazy. But I don't think she can get away with not being judged and sentenced, as she was, by pleading insanity or sleeping pills or whatever it was. As for Samantha B., though I share her disgust and contempt for Ivanka Trump and Ivanka Trump's father and her husband, uh, I understand and sympathize with the context that the insult was made. Uh, you know, basically... Um, the remark, though, that, uh, that Samantha B., that vulgar remark that she made about uh, Ivanka Trump, was scripted. This is a script that Samantha B. had. It was written in advance 
uh, hours before, or it may have been a day or two before, uh, it was written before she went on the air and said it. I mean, I don't know if anybody looks over the script or has any sway with her, but still, it was a much more considered attack, not, not just like the diaperless, you know, splat that we get from Roseanne. I mean, I always did believe in extreme latitude for, pub- for public free speech, always. And I think our entire democracy, such as it remains to us, what's left to us after uh, all this executive power for the last 60 years, the entire democracy really, it depends on it. It depends on free speech, on the First Amendment. Uh, nothing is more important than the right of free expression, especially uh, as it pertains to political speech. Um, even if this speech is without decency or morals, as most speech seems to be these days, um, it's, it's to be protected. And I'm glad I went to all this stuff about BAI. I'm glad I wound up working at BAI. No place believed in free speech more than they did. I would have had no career without the First Amendment because BAI, where I found myself after a lot of wandering in the wilderness, took advantage of the First Amendment to air people and opinions and art that no one else was daring enough to do during the 60s, 70s, and into the 80s until it started self-destructing in the 90s. The word Samantha, now this word Samantha B used is probably the most vulgar, nasty word in the English language. I don't know why. I don't know why it seems that way to me, but it always did. <clears throat> Think of all the, uh, the nasty curse words that you could use. That one word to me is the worst. It's definitely attack on women, used by men to demean women, right? Samantha B never should have used it. She apologized for what she said, and I don't know how sincere her apology was. Probably not much, I'd say, uh, especially considering, as I mentioned, that the word was scripted and known about in advance. Um, Roseanne apologized, and of course it was a pitiful joke. Samantha B uh, has not lost her show yet, although she did lose a lot of really large advertisers. Roseanne lost her show, but uh, she might resurface in some other place that wants to take the risk. <clears throat> if I haven't mentioned it already, I want to make sure to say that I don't see an equivalency between Roseanne's racist remark with all the horrible history attached to it and Samantha B's vulgar personal insult uh, against one person. Uh, and then it's a business. This is a capitalist society, right? Uh, ABC, Disney, is a business, and so is Time Warner, the parent company of TBS, which airs uh, Samantha B's show. Free speech or not, anybody can be fired if the bosses decide that the employee's behavior is threatening their bottom line. Um, that's the way it goes. Um, and that's it. You know, I, 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 have, I have still, uh, and I keep saying this because it's true, I have an almost religious belief. If I have any religion at all, it's a belief in free speech. It's the First Amendment. I worship at the church of the First Amendment. Uh, no matter how amoral or vicious and hurtful speeches and no matter the political views of the speaker, Donald Trump, Roseanne Barr, Samantha Bee, Michelle Wolf, um, I, still, I still, you know, believe in this. Uh, I think it protects all of us. It keeps us safe. The First Amendment to the Constitution, the first right that the founders of our democracy made sure was guaranteed was that the government was forbidden to interfere with freedom of expression. I mean, um, the men who wrote the Constitution knew firsthand that without the right to criticize the government uh, and in the most passionate and explicit terms possible, then all our other rights 
and freedoms would be meaningless, right? Of course, they assumed, and it's still the case to this day, that this freedom of speech was not absolute. I mean, libel laws were still necessary to protect people from unjustified attacks. And uh, although it took about 100 years or more for the Supreme Court's principle to develop, they ultimately arrived at the sensible conclusion that speech was uh, that that what that speech that was the precipitate cause of physical injury that is yelling fire in a crowded theater. If you you know uh, were uh, starting a riot and actually standing in front of a bunch of people and saying, "See that man over there," or "See that uh, that garrison," or whatever it was, "See that place over there," and you have to be careful here too because the American Revolution started with incitement to riot. So you know, the Declaration of Independence. Um, uh, was hand-in-hand uh, hand with uh, actual violence against our, the, the uh, dictators and rulers of our country. But still, uh, free speech does not give you the right to stand up in front of people or to get on the radio, for that matter, and Bill O'Neill did this once, and just single out one person or one group of people, usually a minority group, and say, they're the evil ones, go attack them now. Use anything you can. Weapons, here, you know, do this now. Do it. Bill O'Neill routinely attacked um, a doctor out in the Midwest who was attached to an abortion clinic that gave abortions. And ultimately, this, this doctor was assassinated by some right-wing lunatic who listened to Bill O'Neill. That's the kind of thing that free speech gets, you know, where, where it starts to, you know, take on kind of a rocky, uh, a rocky, uh, territory. Um, And I think um, another thing about free speech in this country is that if you look at the history of free speech in this country, wars, wartime, free speech always suffers during wartime. Um, There's a book, I think, uh, that I read years ago. I think the title is called The First Casualty. And um, it's written by a journalist about how free expression, journalistic expression, reporting on what really happens is the first thing to go in wartime. And everybody understands this. I mean, you know, Lincoln during the Civil War allowed one of his generals to shut down an anti-war newspaper during the Civil War. Just shut it down because they were criti- – and this is up north in the Midwest, up north though, in Illinois somewhere because they were criticizing Lincoln and the government and uh, the government's policy. And during World War I – pacifists and anti-war activists were jailed, printed up uh, anti-war stuff. Uh, they, were, they were thrown in jail and their pamphlets were destroyed. And, of course, the anti-communist frenzy of the late 40s and the early 50s, McCarthyism, free speech took a, a real beating. And the same thing almost happened during the Vietnam War. But we had a good Supreme Court then, and uh, they allowed people to practice uh, free political speech. But without the freedom to criticize people in power, we're really doomed. And since the McCarthy era, we have never had a government that was so set against our most basic freedom, an administration. Um, we have a chief executive now. I hate to even think of him in that position, but you know how it is. He is. We have a chief executive uh, who hates freedom of the press, any free speech at all. And he would do away with it if he was given the slightest opportunity. Um, and another, another area where free expression has always had a hard time in this country um, is, is when uh, it, it, it wanders into the territory of what's uh, called by the majority, or always has been, indecency and obscenity. 
Now, James Joyce's Ulysses was banned, and the case had to be taken to court before in 1928 it was allowed to be published in this country. So it took up until then. I forget. I think it was published uh, overseas in 1922 in France originally. And the same thing happened later on with Henry Miller's books in the 50s and the 60s. A little more throat coat tea. I'm going to drink a gallon of this when I get home. And, of course, Pacifica, you know, BAI, ran right up against this essentially Puritan set of values when it was fined and censured for allowing offensive uh, seven dirty words to be broadcast over the air. I mean, they could have the power to destroy your brain, right? How absurd. But uh, anyhow, so now we're free to be obscene. But these days, you know, with all the new broadcast media, except on still on terrestrial radio and TV, we are free to be obscene and indecent and vulgar as much as we like in any public place. And uh, have it come over the airwaves, right? And naturally, inevitably, this freedom has allowed people to go too far in the other direction. Wouldn't it be interesting? I mean, I wonder what, what would it be like in the near future if no word was ever considered obscene? If nothing was forbidden anywhere and nothing that was spoken or shown shocked us anymore, what would, our, what would our culture be like? What would our individual lives be like? What would it be like if we lived in a world where nothing was shocking anymore? It's getting to be like that, isn't it? <laughs> you pick up the paper and you see what's going on in the world or you hear what Trump said or said, a uh, shithole country, what, what one of his ambassadors in, Germany, in Austria, uh, Trump's ambassador to Austria, is praising a neo-Nazi party in Germany. What if nothing after a while is shocking? What is that? We have to preserve. I think we have to preserve our ability to be shocked so that we can react to it in the right way and do the right thing. Anyhow, back to the current situation. Uh, again, ABC, whatever <clears throat> the moral rectitude behind their action, is trying to protect its bottom line, right? <clears throat> it reacted before the advertisers decided they were pulling out. So they're going to take a big hit financially. And, um, but uh, Roseanne, if she wants to uh, work somewhere else and people will work with her, she'll turn up someplace else eventually. She'll have her own, you know, um, she'll have her own program on some, some broadcast platform. Uh, <clears throat> and I wonder sometimes, if I had the power, would I have fired Roseanne Barr? That's a hard question for me to answer. It really is. And I, it's a hard one for me to come up with an answer. <clears throat> of course, I would never be in a position like that, you know, CEO of a large media organization for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> I'm uh, too inconsistent uh, and um, don't have the killer instinct. <clears throat> I did, though. Once upon a time, I had some real executive power at BAI. I was the assistant manager. Um, but that was not a business with shareholders. Um, when I was there, if someone at BAI... <clears throat> was stupid and thoughtless enough to do a Roseanne on the air or off the air in some other public platform, there would have been a violent debate about it. And the peer pressure from everybody at the station, both on and off the air, would have been tremendous. And if the uh, person who did it was allowed to keep their show, we would have lost a significant number of listeners and supporters. And maybe I would have decided, for the good of this station and for the very reasons uh, that we existed, you know, um, for free speech purposes, anti-war, um, for civil rights, everything. Maybe I would have decided if I was in charge <clears throat> that free speech had to temporarily take a back seat. Maybe. Or maybe I would have insisted that the broadcasters stay on the air because once you start axing people for something they said, 
there is no end to the carnage. I mean, <clears throat> I was once, when I was the assistant uh, manager there, and I have, I have a streak of the dictator in me. I don't like it when people talk back to me. <clears throat> I, I don't even like it when people disagree with me. Um, I didn't do this with my kids. Somehow they escaped my dictatorial urges. But when I was at BAI, I actually tried to get a guy thrown off the air there for things he was saying on the air. Um, he was cursing during the hours when you're not allowed to. And this wasn't too long after the Supreme Court case. And I went to the program director and said, get rid of this guy. He's going to lose our license for us. The program director said, no, you can't do that. It's free speech. And I said, what do you want? You want the whole station to disappear? And we had this big debate. And the program director was, uh, I was overruled by the manager, who apparently believed in free speech more than I did. And um, but my, my, this awful dictatorial streak, I mean, I, I, I've been on the air, and I've been called in by program directors on every station I ever worked at, except for PRN here, because I don't do it so much anymore. But when I was on BAI and, and satellite radio, Sirius XM, I was called in by program directors, especially at Sirius XM, a place where people insulted people all the time. Because when I did insult people, I was so awful and so nasty and so rude that, um, um, that uh, people... Um, People complained or even the program they're hearing it said, no, you can't keep talking to people like that. So I, you know, I had uh, I had that instinct. So um, but I still with all that, the way I had, you know, I got a real Jekyll and Hyde personality. That's the way it is. Um, I was capable of censoring other people. But on the other hand, when I was raising money for the station for BAI on the air, I could deliver the most passionate and articulate sermons about the absolute need for free speech, uh, for there to be a platform, uh, right up to this day I mean it too, where everybody's opinion, no matter, w no matter how rank and bigoted and boring it was, and this includes someone like Roseanne, or that you disagreed with it, where everybody is free to give their opinion. I, I am still a great believer in the First Amendment. Um, um, but still... Um, when I was in a position of power, I have to remember this, uh, an important New York media outlet, I was all too ready to interfere with to censor people or cancel on-air personalities. So maybe it switches with the kind of responsibility you have, right? I mean, you would do certain things as a parent to protect your kids, which infringes on their rights. You have to. Am I saying that the people at BAI were like children? <laughs> what that the listeners are? Uh, I don't know. Uh, do I contradict myself? I contra so I contradict myself. I contain multitudes. Anyhow, I think in the end, the, the, my, con my conclusion is I think Roseanne should have kept her show, no matter how vile I think she is. Um, and like I said before, absent libel or an actual incitement to riot, she should be able to say anything she wants. And I leave it up to the audience, which is, you know, I leave it up to the audience and the advertisers and the people she works for and the people on the show to decide what they want to do. Um, but I, if I was the manager, I would not have fired her. Maybe I would have even have, uh, resigned rather than uh, fire her. I don't know. But you've got to be careful uh, about speech, too. I mean, speech can be violent, uh, but once it crosses the line into actual violence, um, I mean, it could be violent expression of speech, like, you know, um, denouncing people or yelling or screaming or cursing. Uh, like I say, as long as you don't incite to riot and, and incite people to actually kill other people. Um, but once speech crosses the line into actual violence, once it causes actual physical and material harm, then you're right on the, you're right on the road to Nazi Germany.
I mean, that's how that's how, you know, the Hitler and everybody made those speeches over there. And then when they started organizing brown shirts and directed them with their speeches, with their words to beat up and kill Jews. That's when it crosses the line. Um, but I think the threat of that kind of thing that happened in Nazi Germany is more real and uh, it's more present in America than it's ever been in my lifetime. But so far, Trump and his uh, rabble-rousing and Roseanne and viciousness have not caused actual mass violence to occur. So far, it hasn't happened. Uh, the things that happened in Charlottesville were real enough, but we're still short of mass Munich-style rallies and national laws that actually take away people's property and jail them and kill them. Once you start restricting, once you start restricting speech on a regular basis, once people are forbidden to express their opinion, again, no matter how vicious and nasty and vulgar it is, then you're headed straight to dictatorship. If Trump and his terrible crew had their way, if they had their way, we'd all be in jail for expressing our opinions. That's true. He would, he would put us all in jail. I say, let this Roseanne woman tweet all she wants. Let her keep her show, and we can keep our very tarnished but still existing democracy. Well, it's all right Riding around in the breeze Well, it's all right If you live the life you please Well, it's all right Doing the best you can Well, it's all right As long as you lend a hand You can sit around and wait For the phone to ring Waiting for someone to tell you everything Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring Maybe a diamond ring Well, it's all right Even if they say you're wrong Well, it's all right Sometimes you gotta be strong Well, it's all right All right, you have been listening uh, to Mike Fader, uh, if you want to get in touch with me, and I wish you would, disagree with me or not. And I know a lot of people will, will disagree with a lot of things they heard today uh, about keeping Roseanne on the air. Roseanne on the air, and I know some people can get upset about the idea that uh, that a minority can display and actually behave in a racist way. I mean, these are arguments I've had with people many times before. So, anything you want to comment on, get in touch with me by going to Fader Files. F E D E R. F-I-L-E-S dot com. And there'll be a place there where you can um, get in touch with me and join the mailing list if you want. I send out essays from time to time, very much like uh, this show today. All right. Thanks again. I appreciate all of you listening all the time. Well, it's all.
can sit around and wait for the phone to ring. Waiting for someone to tell you everything. Sit around.